0: In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua, but Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at DiscoverPuertoRico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system. All without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. Ulrike is the name of a famous short story by author Jorge Luis Borges. The main character is a Colombian professor. At one point, this professor is asked, What does it mean to be Colombian? The professor thinks, and then, after a little while, he says, I don't know. It is an act of faith. I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Travel Tales by Afar. In every episode, we hear about a trip that changed someone's life. And in this season, we're actually sending people, writers, comedians, playwrights, out into the world to explore life's big questions. Given that pretty much everyone we know is traveling these days, it only makes sense, right? In fact, I am fresh off of a train trip through Eastern Canada, which was actually inspired by a Travel Tales episode from 2020. We'll link to it in our show notes. I ate bagels in Montreal, cycled through Quebec City, and toured Nova Scotia, delivered to each place by a train staffed by the loveliest of Canadians. But let's get back to what you heard at the top of the episode. Today's storyteller is comedian and entertainer Esteban Gast, and the question of what it means to be Colombian is something that he has wrestled with over the years. See, Esteban grew up in the United States, but his extended family lives in Colombia. He's visited the country over the years, of course, but his relationship with the place and his family always felt a little distant and complicated. So on his most recent trip this last spring, he decided to try and answer that question once and for all. It was, as you can imagine, a bit of a leap of faith.
1: It's a hot summer day. It's humid, it's over 90 degrees, and I'm standing in a plaza in Cartagena, Colombia. You know when it's so hot and humid, you're like, I didn't even know the back of my knees could get sweaty. Just me. Anyways, Cartagena is a coastal city on the Caribbean Sea that was founded in 1533. And of course, many different indigenous people lived here long before that. Some historians believe humans have been here for as long as 6,000 years. So, it's a city with some history. Like, capital H, history. To me, it feels like a museum come to life. And as a fan of the Night at the Museum trilogy, that's right, there's three of those movies. Shout out Night at the Museum, fam. I love cities that feel like museums. Cartagena is very Spanish colonial in its architecture. It's a bigger city with almost one million in its metropolitan area. A giant wall envelops the whole downtown, the old city. There are fortresses everywhere. It's got these colonial homes with big doors and beautiful courtyards. There are colorful flowers hanging on every balcony. In some of these places, Houses, museums, offices. Oh, they've got some great doors. Cartagena has great door game. Like, they are really showing off their doors. There are these giant wooden doors with artistic heavy metal clasps. Some of the clasps are shaped like iguanas. Some of the doors are so big that horses could walk into the homes. I'm gonna be looking for some horse-sized doors for my next apartment. Streets are beautiful here. There are balconies on buildings, and in narrow streets, it almost feels like you could jump from one balcony to another. If you've ever been to New Orleans and like thrown a beer to your neighbor on the balcony across the street, yeah, it's just like that. The city is so historic and beautiful that UNESCO designated Cartagena as a World Heritage Site. It's like UNESCO walked the blocks, I'm walking, and was like, yup, we gotta preserve this. Speaking of tourism, this isn't some quiet town where people speak in whispers to not wake the very, very old ghosts. People also come here to party. It's a coastal town, so Cartagena makes for a perfect vacation spot, and people all over the world come here. While I'm here, I heard all sorts of languages, not just the sing-song of Colombian Spanish that I'm used to. Ay, que rico verte. As I walk around the city, I make my way to a plaza that feels familiar. It's the Plaza San Pedro Claver, or Saint Peter Claver, for those who didn't take Spanish class. He's the patron saint of human rights. I learned this fact from a plaque near his sculpture in the plaza. It's really easy to learn about the city's history. Cartagena makes it convenient. There are plaques in every square that tell you all about the city's past and its culture. There are descriptions of buildings. They answer questions like, who lived here? What did they do for work? Their zodiac sign, their age of their first kiss. Okay, not all those questions, but they give you a lot of history and context that allows you to build a larger story of what this city means. Okay, so there's me, a Colombian-American dude standing in the plaza wondering how this city, how this country fits into my story. This isn't my first time in this plaza. I've been to this exact plaza before, like a bunch of times. I've come to this plaza as a sweaty and smelly eight-year-old I remember it was really hot and there was no shade and I was begging my parents for ice cream. I've come to this plaza as a bored and apathetic 18 year old. I remember rolling my eyes at my parents and wanting to go back to my iPod Nano until we got ice cream. And now, here I am again at 31, visiting for the first time without my parents, which means unlimited ice cream. And as I look around, the question I keep asking myself is, am I allowed to be here all by myself? Like, just speaking Spanish and exploring the city? Like, yes, I am allowed, but am I allowed allowed? Let me give you some context. I've been coming to Colombia my whole life, but always with my mom and dad. My parents were born in Bogotá, it's a 45-minute flight from Cartagena, and immigrated to the U.S. in the mid-80s so they could go to grad school. As my dad was working on his PhD, my parents had my brother and I, and we did a typical kids of immigrant schedule. Summers were in Colombia. We would spend time at my uncle and aunt's houses, and we would sometimes go to my Tío Coca's house in Cartagena. I would get poked fun at for my Americanized Spanish, Yo soy colombiano, I swear. And get called gringo. We would walk around Bogotá and walk around Cartagena, and we would eat in plazas, and the adults would sit at the table and drink and laugh, and I would try to climb the big bronze botero sculpture. It's one of the only sculptures of a not-religious person, so it felt less sacrilegious to climb. Then I would return to the U.S. for the fall, winter, spring. We lived in Puerto Rico for a little bit, then outside Chicago for most of my childhood. Spanish was spoken at home and English everywhere else. We would Skype our extended family, and I would hear stories of my family and see pictures of them, but I didn't know them too well. Sometimes it was almost like my Colombian cousins were people I knew more through photos than real life. But mostly I try to live a stereotypical American life, whatever that means. I think that's the thing. I didn't know what it meant. So I was like, what's American? Let me do that. So I watched football and went to Super Bowl parties and ate hot dogs and was like, oh, I am totally crushing this American thing. Eventually I got summer jobs back in the States or fought back against my parents enough so I stopped going to Columbia every summer. I was like, why would I go to Colombia when I could stay here and eat hot dogs and wear jean shorts and be a normal American youth? My connection to Colombia sometimes felt like childhood nostalgia. Like, remember when we all had Beanie Babies? Remember when I was really connected to Colombia? With this trip to Colombia, the one I'm on, in this plaza, I was going to Bogotá as well. Bogota is where my cousin Camilo is, and Camilo rocks, and I love him. And I also wanted to ask him a few questions, specifically about my Colombianness You've known me since I was a baby. Like, are there times that maybe you've been like, wow, he's doing this, or he's in it, or whatever that is? I think so, because, of course, when you, you were little, you
2: were the, of course, for me, the American cousin. And you didn't speak as much Spanish, you're a few words. And of course you were very American for me. But then over the years, as you were coming back a little bit older as a teenager than twenty-year-old, whatever. Of course, you look more Colombian, and you also make that's beautiful. You make an effort to speak like a Colombian, and at a family party, you will try to uh, dance like a Colombian and try to drink like a Colombian. If you, if you can't handle it, <laughs> so, yes, of course, that's really nice. Over the years, how the the perspective has changed, no? Like maybe I was telling you some time about how I saw you when. I was a kid, when we were little, I saw you like with a little bit of envy because you lived in this awesome country, you know, the American dream, and you had access to all these toys, wonderful toys, Toys R Us. You had a Toys R Us probably like a hundred yards (laughs) away. And that in Colombia was, Colombia opened commercially like to globalization like in the 90s. So I, I remember when we could only buy Colombian things in Colombia, and then after many years you could import things but when i visited america was like the dreamland you know? but then a little later in my life when i was like a an adolescent of course a teenager and i started going parties and you know enjoying more like being a colombian and getting into my culture like growing up into my colombian paws eh, i think i felt for you because i thought you were missing out and then when you were coming back, you were trying to be more Colombian, but you actually weren't like, I mean, it took an effort. It wasn't so natural, even though you're Colombian and the same family, the same genes, and you do speak Spanish. For example, I have a lot of foreign cousins <laughs> who don't and they get frustrated. You do it very well. So yeah, that's, that's how it's changed my perspective of you guys, your brother and you, but also how I saw you like, Evolving
1: into a more (laughs) Colombian-American. That's my cousin, Camilo. He's always been one of my heroes. Here's something that I hate to admit, but I have to because I've got this mic in front of me and I must speak all my secrets into it. I've known Camilo my whole life, and this is the first time we've talked about this. About connection to culture, to family, to ourselves. I guess it's better late than never. Shout out podcasts, forcing you to have a good conversation. For a few years, Camilo thought the US was a dreamland. For me, it didn't always feel that way. In seventh grade, I gave a presentation on Colombia to my class. Okay, let me get in character. It's 2007, I like emo rock. I have a crush on a girl named Allie, and we will date for six months and never kiss and barely hold hands. It's pretty serious. I give the presentation and I finish it, and a kid raises his hand. So, is your family part of a cartel? The class laughs, and the teacher says nothing. I learned a pretty big lesson that day. Don't talk about Columbia to mean middle schoolers. I know you, dear listener, do not need this clarification, but let me just give you one statistic that I think needs to be shared. The conflict in Colombia has been dark and long. Yes, yet in a country of almost 51 million people, the number of people actually fighting against the cartels, including the entire country's own national army, never surpassed 200,000. 51 million people, never more than 200,000 actively involved. I ask Camilo about this thing that I think about a lot. That in the US, I'm constantly fighting the media narrative of what it means to be Colombian. That part of my reaction to being Colombian in the US in the 90s and 2000s is to not really tell anyone where I'm from because people often have the same jokes, the same questions, the same looks. Did he, a Colombian living in Colombia, feel the same way?
2: I think we have in common a little bit. The thing that we got to know Colombia a little bit later in life, like when we were kids, even though I lived here through that and I did have to watch the news every night, maybe you get numb about it a little bit. But then when you grow up and you start reading the history and looking at it from different angles and you read a book or see a documentary on the reality of Colombia, and I think you have to make an effort to do that. You know, it doesn't come on its own, that you get a better knowledge of your country. You have to make an effort to do it. And I think that we have that in common because I I like that very much about you, that you try to be Colombian. You, You make an effort to be Colombian and you've come to Colombia many times and you know many parts of Colombia. You've traveled around and taken buses to, I don't know which town, many hours away from Bogota. And yeah, that's a choice and that's an awesome choice because it makes you really Colombian. And also, the more you know, as you know, the more you love. So I think that's awesome. You've been learning to love Colombia. Yeah, and and that's, that's great.
1: My grandmother died in 2000. I was nine years old. One of the things that I think about was that when I started reflecting on my relationship with our grandmother. So I'm curious, how would you describe Ita? Did you call her Ita? No, I call her
2: Abuelita. Wow. Yes. Just normal <laughs> word for grandma. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Abuelita was for us. It's funny because we didn't have like a Loving nickname for her, Abuelita
1: is just like the normal. Of course, it's little Abuela, Abuelita. When we got the news, my family and I bought a plane ticket and we flew the almost eight-hour flight from Chicago to Colombia. I remember sitting in a small church in Bogota, the capital city. It's this stone church that has been there forever, you can see each individual stone that make up the walls. And these are big stones, like the smallest ones are the size of my head. It's just a few blocks from my uncle Koke's house. It's also a few blocks from the daycare my dia Mili and cousin Vina run. It's the type of church where the priest is like, hey kid, your ankle was hurting you, yeah? How's it feel? Hey, Mr. Haircut, looking good. How's your aunt? I know she was sick. I'm praying for her. The priest has these friendly exchanges with just about everyone. Not me, of course, I'm the gringo cousin. We're at this church for my grandmother's funeral. This was the church that she went to. Her name is Isabel Cuides Camacho. I called her Ita, which is short for Abuelita. I guess Camilo just called her Abuela. After the service, my cousins and family all sit in a living room and drink whiskey and share stories of my grandmother. And I listen. I tried to think, but I really had no stories about her. I wasn't quite sure how I fit into her life. Was there anything she did that you thought, oh, that's where I get that from? Or that's where your dad gets that from? Like, did she do anything that you're like, oh, that's a cool be this? Yeah, probably, yeah. Let me think about it.
2: I think she was very, her humor was a little bit black. Yeah. You know, that's that's a, a, like a trait, I think, <laughs> of the family. But also she was like a socialite. Yeah. That's also, I think, a little bit of a trait. We have, like, she was... Nowadays she would have been great for PR. <laughs> now she had a lot of friends and she loved hanging out with friends and calling friends and she knew everything and all the newest gossip. and Yeah. But I think that that social skills were, I think,
1: we inherited that a little bit. So, yes, I remember sitting at my grandmother's funeral thinking, I don't really know what to say about her. I don't really know her too well. Then I thought about my mom, who was so close to her mother. They lived together until my mom got married, only to move 3,000 miles away from her in her 30s. 3,000 miles in those days is a lot. We're talking pre-Facetime 3,000 miles. There are distances we choose and those we can't. My mom decided to live in the USA, a distance from Colombia that we can't control too much. However, she didn't want the locational distance to mean emotional distance. We did the novena and we ate a hiaco, listen to Carlos Vives because we were already dealing with one distance and my mom couldn't bear another. I think there's a lot of things that ground us, that pull our feet back to earth. It can be the recognition of my parents' sacrifices. Oh, I'm sad I don't fit in? My mom was far away from her mom for the last 15 years of her life. The humility to understand that someone's view of the country you're from is informed by what they know, often by the things they don't know. Or that if we look even a little bit, our ancestors show up every day in who we are. I was just telling Misha, my girlfriend, something I love about you is you haven't met a stranger. You know, like Camila walks in and is like, ah, how are you? You know, like, mira a hermano, hermano. All these different things about yeah, yeah. his life Yeah. You go in and you're you're like, how are you really with every single person? Does that, is that kind of her? It's like a quick social ability?
2: I think she was really kind and she worked many years for a foundation, like doing therapy, like physical therapy to little kids who were orphans from the police. You know, so, so
1: she had this social fiber. My grandmother lives on in my mom's creativity and charisma, in Uncle Coca's kindness, Uncle Juan Manuel's music, and Uncle Álvaro's mischievous humor. She was young. She went to live to
2: uh, Brussels to learn piano and whatnot. And at that time,
1: it was 1920s or 1930s. That was really weird for Colombia. My grandmother lives on in Camilo, someone who has had to accept himself publicly state who he is in a Catholic and conservative country. Someone whose decision, in certain parts of Colombia, may be seen as really weird for Colombia. When he was 27, Camilo came out as gay. I asked him how he accepted a part of himself that society told him to reject. You know,
2: I came out of the closet when I was 27. And up until that moment when I was 27, I lived in a bubble. I actually went to law school and i was this terribly boring lawyer with a tie and suit all the time and my hair was short now it's really long thank god <laughs> thank goddess and i yeah i saw colombia from a privileged position so many things that were maybe screamed by a lot of communities in colombia about inequality about you know the hardships in colombia i I was a, a little bit deaf to them, a little bit numb. Of the little thread that connects you to that society that you've always lived in, that you grew up in, they start like breaking, and you don't feel as connected. So you gotta start looking for connections, of course. Yeah. And digging in your nature, in my case, or your culture, or your parents' culture, in your case, of course, it's, it's it gives you hope to belong again to a, a, a new. And a group of people that can hug you and give you strength and that's really nice That's really powerful do you feel like you belong now in colombian culture i think i belong yes much more now than before totally i was just part of a a small group of people who thought everything in colombia was okay and, and you know like, how is that so many people leave colombia to 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 go to america is we're doing okay here is what i would think when i would do i lived very comfortably here so i didn't challenge you know the status quo and yes like ripping those threads that connected me to the bubble and and being able to search for colombianness in all of its you know diversity colombia is absolutely diverse it's incredible and so we have all this wealth in, in in diversity that it's many times just looked over. But if you look at it, of course, you feel more Colombian, more connected, belonging more to the, the country as a whole, not just the tiny elite in Bogotá, you know.
1: Turns out we all struggle with belonging. And the process of belonging is difficult and forward and backwards, but it can also be as simple as recontextualizing the connections we have. When I look back on moments where I felt distance, where I felt isolated, where I felt alone, I realized that in almost every situation, I was connected all along. Connected to people going through similar things. Connected to ancestors who walk alongside me and whose fingerprints are on everything that I do. Connected by accidentally visiting San Pedro de Claver's Plaza, a place I'd been to so many times before. We're all on a journey to better accept who we are and where we come from. And sometimes a literal journey helps, like a walk, car, or plane journey. This trip to Colombia actually happened because I went to a Colombian friend's wedding. Not a family friend, a real Colombian friend I made as an adult. This is a big deal, people! My friends Isaac and Cami got married, and I hosted their wedding in Spanish and English, and I only made like a few Spanish mistakes. Congratulations to the newlyweds! This trip was really big for me. I visited my extended family. That's people like Camilo, who you've been hearing from, and my uncles and aunts I've mentioned. It's also one of the first visits I've made without my mom and dad. This was my first meaningful trip to Colombia I've made with no family at all. Just my girlfriend and I exploring the city and finding out what this city means to us. I know, it's a little silly, and I feel like a literal little kid. Okay, I'm 31, and it's the first time going to the country I'm from without my parents. But I'm finally exploring who I am and where I come from with no parent chaperones. And no parents means it's time to party! And, you know, like, learn about Colombian history and who I am. And, and I keep coming back to this one story. San Pedro Claver. You know, the guy we met at the very beginning. Patron saint of human rights. We're in his plaza. So, San Pedro Claver passed away in 1654 in Cartagena, and the city officials who previously hated him, they thought he was a nuisance for his advocacy for slaves, those same people ordered a public funeral with pomp and ceremony. People came and celebrated his life, even those people who for so long rejected him. This reminds me that nothing is set in stone. That the things we reject, people, ideas, culture, we might someday celebrate and embrace. People can change, huh?
0: If you want to hear more from Esteban, you can find him on his website, estebangast.com or on social media, at Real Esteban Gast. We'll share links in our show notes. Esteban also travels to perform stand up, so watch for him in a town near you. And he travels for fun. Soon he'll be hiking the Camino de Santiago with his parents, and he's going to Pakistan with his girlfriend Misha, who you met in the episode. And yes, of course, he'll be returning to Colombia with all of the lessons of this past trip. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afarcom slash traveltales and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back in two weeks for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast is produced by Aisling Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff, Jen Grossman, and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Crusha. And a special thanks to Irene Wang and Angela Johnston. I'm Aisling Green, your traveling-as-much-as-I-possibly-can host. I am so happy to be on the road again. As we explore the world this year, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours?